The following program is part of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations China podcast series. For more information, please visit our website at www.ncuscr.org. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dan Murphy, Director for Special Initiatives at the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations. And joining me on the NCUSCR China podcast is Alex Wong, Assistant Professor of Law at UCLA. He was also a fellow in the second round of the National Committee's Public Intellectuals Program from 2008 to 2010. Alex, thanks for taking the time today. Thanks a lot, Dan. Glad to be here. You recently published this fascinating article in the Harvard Environmental Law Review in which you make uh, the point that the Chinese government is pursuing environmental protection goals primarily through bureaucratic mandates and specifically the cadre evaluation system rather than through laws and regulations as we might expect to see in the West. Can you tell us a little bit more about that central thesis of your paper? Sure. Um, yeah, first of all, thanks, thanks for having me on, on the podcast. I'm glad to have a chance to talk about the research. Um, let me just give a little bit of background to set this up. I'm, the the way this project came about was uh, it, it arose out of work I was doing with, uh, with a U.S. environmental group called NRDC for uh, almost seven years in China. And um, during that time when I was working on environmental law reform projects with the government and Chinese legal experts, a, a common way that people, both Chinese experts and foreigners alike, would explain China's environmental crisis was to say that um, something to the effect of China now has an impressive set of environmental laws, but the problem is really implementation. So uh, I can't tell you how many articles I've read that sort of lead off with that sentence or something to that effect. But based on the work I was doing on the ground, there's something something seemed off with this explanation. So the article was really an effort to explore exactly what I thought was was uh, wrong about the conventional wisdom of the standard view on this. And I want to lead off with just three quick points, and the third one really gets to the heart of the thesis that you just mentioned. So the first first point was that I, I think I, I very quickly realized that Chinese environmental laws, though they were voluminous, they, they really weren't as strong as people were suggesting that they were. Um, and in other words, the laws themselves need to quite a, quite a lot of work. Um, the second thing that I started to realize made me uncomfortable about this standard view was that it sort of framed the dynamic as one in which the central government was um, was doing all it could to solve environmental laws, and this was sort of re- reflected in the environmental the, the amount of environmental legislation that was being put out. But that the real problem was that they were facing strong resistance from sort of unruly local governments, and uh, you know, in other words, the local governments were, were were mainly the ones to blame. And this also seemed to me to be only telling part of the story. And I can elaborate on that in a moment. But the third, and this gets to the thesis you mentioned, was that there's an underlying assumption that really what we should be focusing on was law, formal law and the legal system uh, as the, the key to environmental regulation in China. And for U.S. observers, you know, I'm a U.S.-trained lawyer, this was sort of a natural assumption to make given the central role that law plays in, in the American system. And so uh, the assumption that most of us, uh, outside observers were, were making was that China's environmental problems were due to a broken legal system that could be fixed by uh, sort of tech, technical reforms of that legal system. But the, the point I make in the article is that uh, if you really look under the hood of China's governance system, you see that, well, the, the traditional 
kind of uh, state planning system and the bureaucratic targets that arise out of that central planning system are still very much at the heart of the way China gets things done. And so in the environmental context, uh, what I point out in the article is that in the past, the system of bureaucratic targets really had placed a pretty low priority on environmental protection. Um, and if we wanted to understand uh, how sort of China's environmental priorities were changing, we should look to these targets or these bureaucratic mandates uh, and not look at sort of the number of laws, for example, that have been, been passed. Um, and what I focused on in the, the piece, the, the way I sort of came to this view was really um, there's sort of a positive uh, silver lining to this, this story, which is that the way I sort of realized that law was not where the central focus should be was because around 2005, 2006, uh, the Chinese leaders really seemed to make a strong effort to elevate environmental priorities. And the way, the way they did it was not through any substantial reform of the legal, the laws of the legal system, but the way they did it was to really prioritize environmental targets for uh, the, the members of their bureaucracy. Um, and the way to understand this, when we talk about bureaucratic mandates or targets, what, what are these exactly? Um, the, the way to really understand this is to remember that China uh, is probably best viewed as an enormous bureaucracy that includes central leaders, the agency heads, the governors throughout the country, the mayors, as well as the heads of uh, major state-owned enterprises that create a lot of the pollution. That's a very different environment than you than you get in the U.S., where you have a federal system. And the, the way that we really go about it in the States is really through regulation, agencies regulating the behavior of private actors. In, in China, you have much of the economy within this, the bureaucratic system. And so um, it, it sort of makes uh, there's, there's quite a bit of logic to, to regulating the behavior of the system through these bureaucratic mandates. Right, and you point out that these these cadre evaluations are right are extremely important in determining the career path of officials in China. And I, I thought one really interesting point you made, which I, I didn't know uh, previously, was that uh, cadre evaluation targets have three different levels, soft, hard, and veto, and that some of the environmental targets, I believe it was in the 11th five-year plan, were elevated in uh, in level. That's correct, right? Right, yeah. So that was the really interesting thing that I uh, started to look at when I was researching this article, which was that there, there had been environmental targets in the past. So in earlier uh, five-year plans, you know, China operates on these sort of five-year planning cycles. And in the past, there have been targets for reducing uh, pollution, but they'd always been uh, basically less important targets, uh, prioritized as sort of soft targets or non-binding targets, whereas uh, the important priorities were things like GDP growth uh, or uh, one-child policy, for example. And so those were either hard or what were known as veto targets, which just signaled that they were extremely important uh, targets. Uh, that yeah, would in other words, they could, they, could veto, they could veto someone's promotion if they don't attain that one, quote-unquote, veto target, right? Right. In, in theory, a veto target would be that if you – uh, didn't perform on that target, you wouldn't get promoted or, or bonuses or, or other rewards, and it would uh, failure on that veto target couldn't be offset by better performance in other areas. I think one of the interesting things you pointed out is that a lot of foreign academics, NGOs, etc., have, have focused their 
energies on uh, reforming the Chinese legal system in an effort to improve environmental protection in China. But you've pointed out that perhaps those efforts would be better uh, directed at modifying these bureaucratic mandates. Is that uh, what, what are sort of your coming out of this paper? What are your suggestions for foreign NGOs operating in China? How could they perhaps have access or influence on that system? Right. So I, I think there are a few implications to this. Right. So um, I think the first important implication was that what we saw in the 11th five-year plan, which started around 2006, was that environmental targets were elevated to sort of hard target and, and, and maybe even veto target status. Uh, what was clear was that this, the central government wanted to make them more important. So what that tells us is that as a matter of state priority, certain environmental targets uh, had now become much more important than before and that uh, bureaucratic actors throughout the system were going to be paying more attention to them, those targets, and there was going to be more policy support and money flowing to those targets. I, I think the idea that um, sort of people outside of the system can influence specifically what the targets are, that, that's pretty difficult to do. But I think one, one initial thing you could do is to recognize, well, by looking at what the targets are, you, you can understand what the state priorities are, and that's a good place to place your efforts. So if those uh, state priorities align with what, what um, you know, you as an environmental advocate, for example, want to do, that's a good way to put your, uh, good place to put your efforts. So, uh, for example, one of the pollution reduction targets is sulfur dioxide reduction. Um, that's a pollutant that comes from power plants and, and combustion of a lot of, of fuels and, and other materials. And so one thing that uh, if you were working with the Chinese government, you'd probably find a lot of receptivity on uh, putting together projects on how to reduce sulfur dioxide pollution because you know uh, that um, the government actors are, are being evaluated on how well they perform against those targets. And so they're going to be pretty interested in uh, finding out ideas, uh, technologies, and, and different ways to, to achieve those goals. So I think that's a, that's one important uh, implication. And this is not also to say I don't mean to say that law is unimportant. I think that uh, what I took from the, this this project was that really the Chinese system, uh, the, the state mandates are still at the core of setting priorities, and laws are a way to help implement those those priorities. So one thing that law and law reform can really do is to make the system more effective in achieving its goals. So, um, you know, a, a large section of the paper I talk about the, the persistent uh, problems in attempting to meet bureaucratic targets. So this is a problem that's common in any system where you set targets and you have strict consequences for failure to meet targets. So you see this in the states with, for example, no child left behind targets. There have been a spate of principals getting uh, exposed for uh, cheating on, on test, test scores, for example. So you find the same situation in China where they've set these targets, they've signaled from the top that uh, certain pollution reduction and energy efficiency targets are really important now. And... Um, on the, the positive side, it led to a lot of investment in wastewater treatment or pollution reduction equipment or, or more efficient facilities. But on the negative side, a lot of local governments did try to cheat, cheat the data. They, um, they did things that would um, cause the statistics to show that they met the, the targets, but 
that they naturally improve energy efficiency or reduce pollution. And so those types of things are, are uh, alive and well in the system, and it's uh, to the Chinese sort of government, that's a big waste of resources and then ultimately doesn't achieve your policy goals. So one thing that you can do is use formal law to sort of try to deal with those problems. For example, um, one thing that um, the, the government has started to do is to, uh, in, in the environmental sphere, is to pass more regulations on transparency, disclosing pollution information, in an effort to sort of expose effort, you know, local uh, cheating and, and falsification of data, for example. And uh, other examples are, are public participation mechanisms to allow the public to sort of play a role in supervising what's going on at the local level. So the central government well realizes that to govern a country of, of you know, 1.4 billion people, you're not going to be able to see what, uh, most of what's going on at the local level. Looking at these environmental targets in the cadre evaluation system, would it be uh, broadly accurate to say that if the central government was getting accurate data and the uh, targets were being fully implemented that we'd see an improvement in China's environment, or do they need stronger targets that are more focused, more closely focused on uh, improving China's many environmental issues? Yeah, so I, I think there are two two issues. That's a, that's a great question. I mean, one, one question is sort of what, which targets have you selected, right? So when when we say generally environmental problems, that brings in a, you know, a wide range of problems from different types of pollution, from kind of conventional pollution to toxic pollution uh, to climate change related pollution. Uh, it might be energy efficiency. It might be water related. It might be air related. So. Depends on what you think are the uh, most important environmental issues, and there is a question about how you set priorities. You know, how participatory are you? Are you bringing in experts? Are you bringing in public opinion? And there's uh, always going to be debate in any society about which are the important uh, priorities because you can't regulate everything, right? So that's one issue about how the target system is set up. And I think some people would argue, well. The targets are not covering all the problems that we think are important. And, and the, the second issue is then are the targets stringent enough? And that is, um, you know, in, in many respects a technical problem. It's also a, a problem of allocation of resources, right? If you devote more funding um, and to environmental problems and meeting environmental targets, uh, you, you know, unless cheating completely eliminates all uh, advances, you would expect that you would get some improvements in the environment. But that might mean you're spending less money on education or other things. So that that's also something that, you know, a, a society needs to work out, sort of how to allocate resources. And what's clear now in China is that the environmental problems, for example, air pollution is so serious that the state is realizing that they really do need to allocate more resources to um, to traditional pollution, and I think that's a that's a great thing. So I think the system right now, if it were implemented um, well, it would it would certainly have a uh, a powerful effect on pollution. I think many people argue that the targets aren't aren't stringent enough, and um, I think that there's a fair argument to be made for that. And uh, I think down the road, you'd like to see those targets getting stricter. 
for one last question. It seems like laws and regulations have worked pretty well in the West in terms, on the whole, for environmental protection. Why has the Chinese government chosen to primarily use these top-down mandates instead of laws and regulations? Yeah, so so one way that I frame this in the paper is to ask just the question, you know, why not? Why, you know, why, why not organize um, a system like this? You know, this is, if you think of China as a large organization, now, this is a natural way for large organizations to organize and to get things done, be it uh, General Electric or the Catholic Church or, or the mob. And I don't mean to draw any substantive connection between those organizations, but just to say that they're all large organizations that are kind of organized in a bureaucratic, hierarchical way. And so the, you know, the Chinese state is, is, has been organized this way for thousands of years. Uh, and they have, um, you know, the Chinese state actually has a lot of experience in organizing uh, in a bureaucratic way and, and setting targets that and motivating the bureaucracy uh, to, to act. You know, certainly the, that system has had uh, uh, its problems, but um, but the system itself has a lot of experience with that. Um, and so, you know, the, the U.S. system is organized in a quite different way because the governance system incorporates a lot of, uh, values that are important to the U.S., such as you know, notions of democracy and checks on power and transparency and participation and those types of things, and and a lot of those values um, uh, may you know, may not be uh, as prioritized in, in a bureaucratic system. For those who want to know more about this topic, they can read Alex's paper, The Search for Sustainable Legitimacy, Environmental Law and Bureaucracy in China, in the Harvard Environmental Law Review. Alex, thanks again for a uh, very interesting discussion. Thanks a lot, Dan.